I know sometimes the way politeness works, the way politeness works, the way the polite thing to do would be to wait until you get the gift before you give thanks. That's the polite thing to do. But I want to give you the, the trick to faith way of doing it. The, the, the faith way of doing it isn't to wait until you receive the gift to say thank you. The faith way is to say thank you now. You, you see that? The faith way says thank you now. It hasn't come yet, but we're going to say thank you now. Lord, we haven't received that job we were expecting, but thank you now for what you will do. My faith says it's coming. My faith says it's going to be okay. So I'm going to thank you now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. That's the faith way. Sometimes the polite way is okay. But I need to rest in faith. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I'm so grateful to be with you today. Thank you, Jesus. I'm so grateful to be in the house of the Lord. It is my genuine pleasure and honor to be with you, the people of God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Those who are called by his name, those who honor him, I'm just blessed to be with you. Um, I'm just grateful for this moment because in it is an opportunity to worship God our Savior, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He who was from the beginning. He who was there before the worlds were framed. The scripture describes him as the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. Thank you, Lord Jesus, meaning everything I needed was in him before I even came into existence. And I'm grateful for this kind of God that anticipates what I need before I'm even here, before I'm drawing breath. (laughs) When I wasn't, my mom used to always say this one thing, when I wasn't thinking of him, he was thinking of me. Isn't that just a beautiful thing? You have friends sometimes that call you on the phone out of the blue, out of the, and it's such a heartwarming moment. That's what the Lord is doing for you always, is thinking about you. And so today I'm grateful. I stand in grace, I stand in the grace of God. Uh, today I wanted to talk about the shepherd. The shepherd. Um, Minister Flagg was just saying something that, I, that resonated in my heart. Um, a few years back, I don't know if you remember this, I, I, a few years back, I, my um, particular company I worked for was in dire straits. It was in, we were literally at Christmas time, and they were talking about, we're not sure if January 1st, we're going to be here. And in hindsight, we were not here on January 1st. Like, this is the story that happens when you have to admit, that went wrong, that was badly gone, and there was nothing we could do about it. But what I realized is whether I'm down or up, uh, he still stays the shepherd. Whether I'm weak or strong, he's still the good shepherd. Uh, Whether I have enough on my own or not, I still need the shepherd. I was reading a scripture in the week and I wanted to read that to you. There's a few, not not as many as last week. Um, I have a few scriptures to share with you today. The first one is in the book of Galatians, chapter 3 and verse, I'm actually going to start at verse 1, but the key verse is verse 3. Galatia was a church that is, if you would think about today, it's in the middle of Turkey, modern day Turkey. So it's um, just on the, it's actually in the middle of of, of Turkey. Galatia is a church that Paul has established. He is 
what we would describe as a shepherd of the flock of that church. Um, he established the church, but he's no longer with the church. And so he writes these letters to them as a way of encouraging them. Uh, that's what shepherds do. Uh, even when the shepherd isn't directly with them, he's always thinking about the flock. I realized um, there's this technique that shepherds use. They, they train a dog, like a huge dog, to be with, to live with, the, when they can't be with the sheep, they train a dog to love sheep. Like they, when it's puppy, they make it sit with the sheep all day. Like he, all the dog knows is this is my pack. That's all the dog thinks about. These sheep are my pack. And so if a wolf comes along, this dog who loves the sheep he's sitting with stands up and starts to guard the sheep. He starts barking, tells the shepherd, hey, something's wrong. He even will fight the, the, the wolf on behalf of the sheep. Shepherds always thinking about the flock. Their, their mindset is the sheep need help. So Paul is acting as shepherd to the sheep in Galatia in this book. The thing about a shepherd is sometimes he's doing the things that you would think of as really nice for you, but sometimes he has to correct you. Shepherd doesn't always have nice things to do to the sheep. Sometimes the sheep are going in a direction that's dangerous, and the shepherd says, you can't go in that direction. If you remember Psalms 23, it says, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. It's funny that they use rod and staff, instruments of discipline, with the word comfort, <laughs> right? These are instruments of discipline and correction. He says, rod and staff bring comfort to me. But sometimes that's what we need. We need correction to help us. Correction to make sure that we're not going in danger's way. If you rest over there, you're likely to get attacked. So I'm gonna shepherd you with the, she with the, with the staff in the right direction, right? Amen? So Galatians chapter 3, Paul is about to go in on the, on the Galatian church, as they say. He's about to give them a little bit of peace of his mind because he needs to correct them on something they're doing. I hope you'll just be patient with me as I build this story here. Galatians chapter 3, verses 1, it says, Oh foolish, foolish Galatians, right off the very first sentence, he's letting them know, Oh foolish Galatians, if this were to contemporary times, I would probably say, have you lost your entire minds? Have you gone crazy? Why are you doing it like that? Like, this is what people, we have to do to get people's attention sometimes. Are you listening to me? So he starts this chapter three by saying, oh fool, you're doing something wrong. And he says, who have bewitched you? Who's tricked you that you should not obey the truth but before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. He says, how have you been tricked into thinking that the crucified Christ isn't the answer already? I just left you, and you've turned away from the crucified Christ. Verse 2, this only would I learn of you, receive ye the spirit of the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith. You see, there's two different approaches to solving problems. Our salvation can be solved because we think we are good, or our salvation can be solved because we think he's good. That's a fundamental difference. We think we can are so, such good people that the Lord is going to honor us because we are so good. That's one way to do it. 
The other way to do it is to say, he is so good that his goodness is gonna help me. That's what the cross represents. That he bore the pain and the cost of sin, and so I don't have to bear it anymore. And what did it say in verse three? Are you so, he's gone back to this foolish, are you crazy, are you nuts, have you lost it? He says, are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit, you started in the spirit and you are now made perfect by the flesh. Do you think now that you've got a little bit of something going that you can now turn to the flesh to finish it off? Here's the problem, and this is why I like the idea of talking about the shepherd this morning. Um, we start off with faith in God, knowing that he can deliver us, but then at some point we start to think we can help ourselves. The song says God will work it out. But then sometimes we want to take the wheel and take over for a little bit, don't we? <laughs> we get a couple of good weeks and we think to ourselves, actually, I'm good. I'll take care of this now. <laughs> we have a couple of good days and we assume, actually, I can probably just get through this by myself without his help. That's what Paul is talking to the people of Galatia about. You've started in the spirit. You've started with God as the center, and then somehow you've turned around and started to think you could do this by yourself. Oh, foolish Galatians, right? But another way, are you out of your minds to think that you could really do this for yourself? I am reliant on the Lord. I need him. The song we, we sang, Lord, you are so amazing, and I could not imagine what my life would be without you. Can't live without you, won't last without you. I need you. <laughs> so how in the world, when we have success and the formula for success, why would we start turning to ourselves? It's something about this being human bit that, that really gets us, that we really start to find success, then all of a sudden we assume the success wasn't God's, but we assume it was ours the whole time. You were blessed with something, and all of a sudden your mind starts to somehow think, actually I was the one who deserved that in the first place. So I'll get the next one by myself. Only to realize that it was the Lord the whole time. There's a story I want to kind of talk about with regards to this particular mindset that we have. And it's found in uh, the book of uh, 1 Samuel. Uh, it's actually about King David. King David started his entire life as a shepherd. That's all he was, shepherd. At the end, however, he becomes the king. I find it fascinating that there was such a leap, such a moment that he starts in such a humble beginning, and then at the end he ends up as the king of everything. But he started off as a, just a shepherd, doing small things, doing little things, looking after a sheep, but he ends up as the king. Uh, I want to show you David's attitude right at the start of his journey. I want to talk about that first. Let's go to uh, 1 Samuel 17, I believe it is. Can somebody find that? Can you find that for me, sir? 1 Samuel. You, we know the wells, the story of David and Goliath. This is David's first opportunity, first really moment in the public. He's, he's been anointed by Samuel. Um, he's been looking after sheep, and this man called Goliath 
uh, part of the Philistines have come uh, and has promoted himself as the terror of Israel. Like he's, the, the, the measurements aren't exact, but we, we can know he's somewhere between seven foot and nine feet. This is Goliath, is this big. Um, even for any of us, that would be quite frightening. This guy has come to fight and everybody's scared. Um, let's go to uh, 1 Samuel 17, verse 24. Let's start at verse 24, sir. First Samuel 17. And all the men of Israel. And all the men of Israel. When they saw the man. When they saw Goliath. Fled from him. Fled from him. And were so afraid. Everybody's frightened. Right? This is the thing that has come into their lives that is un, is completely intimidating to them. Yes, sir. These are men bred for fighting. These are men bred to fight. These are men trained to fight. But they've seen Goliath. And that's the thing that has said, you know what? I don't care what I've learned. Yes, sir. It wasn't enough to take that guy on. Like there's no part of me that is able to deal with him. One person has put the entire army, they, were, they weren't doubting themselves until they saw the Goliath. Then they doubted everything about what they'd been doing. Let's keep going. And the men of Israel, also, and the men of Israel said, have you seen this <laughs> that has come up? Have you seen him? Like all they can see is the problem. All they can, that's what fear does, right? That's what intimidation does. All I can see is the doom that is coming towards me. All I can see is the problem. I can't see a solution. This is sometimes how we get into problems, right? Because we start essentially worshiping the problem. We start talking about how big the problem is. We start talking about how broad the problem is, how complicated the problem is. Rather than talking about how big our God is, Amen. how eternal our God yes, is, yes, yes. we talk about how big the problem is. It becomes a kind of horrible kind of reverse worship where instead of we giving our praise to God, we start to make the problem look bigger than he can be. Amen? Let's keep going. And the men of Israel said, have yeah. you seen this man that has come up? Ah. Surely to defy Israel, he has come up and it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches. He's basically saying, look, he's obviously unbeatable, but if you can beat him, you would be rewarded wonderfully by the king. Uh, we get introduced to this point to, to David, not the king, but David the shepherd. Like he's not trained to do anything other than look after sheep. That he doesn't have a weapon we would recognize as a weapon with him. doesn't have anything. But his attitude in this moment is completely different to the people who have been trained. You know what the problem with the people who have been trained is? Is that they've come across a problem that is bigger than the thing that they have. Like if I'm a warrior and I have a sword and you come in with a bigger sword, you've just kind of overcome me at this point. If I come in with a, a weapon and your weapon's bigger than then, I've lost. David has come in with the reverse is this his way. He's saying, he's saying, I'm not coming in with a weapon. I'm coming in with God himself. It doesn't matter what you bring. I don't care what kind of weapon. You, I don't care if he's seven foot. I don't care if he's seven foot wide. I don't care what you have. My God is greater. Right? Let's keep going. 
And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man that has come up? Surely to divide Israel as he come up, and it shall be. But the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches, yep. and give him his daughter, and make his father's house free in Israel. If anybody can beat him, the king will make him basically part of the king's household. Let's keep going. Verse 25, 26. And David spake unto the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine, and taketh away their reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David's attitude in this moment is that I don't know what y'all are. First of all, I, I'm not that impressed. He sees this, this guy between seven foot and nine foot. Like, so just to be clear, if I reach up, the tip of my finger right here is about eight feet. So if this guy is nine foot, I could probably touch his chin right about now. My hand would be touching, that's how big he is. And David comes in and sees him and says, I am not impressed. Like, how is he have this attitude where he's unimpressed by somebody who's coming to fight Who's that big? I'm gonna be honest, just thinking about it makes me frightened. Like, you could be the kindest guy in the world and if you're that big, <laughs> I'm gonna be really nervous. Keep going. And the people answered him after this matter, saying, so shall it be done to the man that killeth him. Yes. And Elab, the eldest brother, heard when he had spoken to the man, and Elab's anger was kindled against David. So Elab is David's oldest brother. Elab's David's oldest brother, and he's heard David talk like this before. Like somebody with 100% confidence in the Lord. I want to tell you something, when you get this right, this faith walk right, people are going to be so frustrated that you're not worried the way they're worried. Like when you believe 100%, I don't care how bad it's going to get, but the Lord's going to take care of me. People who have more than you will get frustrated with you because they're trying to figure out why you're not trusting in your little when I have a lot and I can't trust in what I've got. <laughs> Hallelujah, glory to God. When you don't trust in the things that you have, it leaves you with no choice but to trust in God. David's got no choice. He's got no skills. He's not a fighter. <laughs> All he is is a shepherd. That's it. It's one of the lowliest jobs you've got. That's what he is. That's what he's confident of, and he's happy to be that. Let's keep going. And Elab, his older brother, heard that when he had spoken to the man, that Elab's anger was kindled. So Elab's a soldier. He knows what's on the line, supposedly. He's been trained. He's supposed to know better. He knows what's on the line. How is this my young brother come and started talking like this? That's what happens sometimes when you don't have confidence in the Lord, and somebody comes along and says, I need you to try and have confidence in the Lord, right? It can be frustrating for you because you've got a real problem in front of you. And you're, you're telling me to be trusting something that I can't see, right? But I've told you sometimes you've got to start with either politeness or faith. And David's starting with faith. <laughs> he's starting with thanking the Lord and giving thanks because he's the one who's going to deliver Israel. Let's keep going. Why camest thou down hither? Yes. With whom hast thou left those sheep in the wilderness? <laughs> You're supposed to be responsible for the sheep. You're coming up over here talking all this stuff, getting everybody all wound up, and you're supposed to be looking after sheep. <laughs> 
It's amazing, but David, the real thing that Eliab's not getting is David isn't confident over the fact that he's something. He's confident over the fact that God is something here. Like that seven foot guy, that nine foot guy, however tall he is, he's intimidating, but my God is greater than him. Uh, let's keep going. I know thy pride <laughs> and the naughtiness of thine heart, uh, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. You know what faith looks like to other people who don't have faith? It looks like naughtiness. It looks like pride. It looks like something out of order. When you're happy but they're sad. When you've got joy in your heart but they can't fathom how you can have it. <laughs> That's frustrating to them. It looks like something out of the ordinary to them. But that's what happens when faith comes first and politeness comes later. We're going to worship him now like he's delivered us now. Amen? Let's keep going. Verse 29, and David said, what have I now done? Is there not a call? You know what David's basically saying here? He's saying, look, if there was any time to talk confidence, it was right now. The time to talk confidence isn't when you have the biggest sword or the nine foot guy. The big time to talk confidence is when you believe the Lord is on your side. He's saying, I'm talking confidence now. <laughs> Amen? Let's keep going. Verse 30, and he turned from him toward another and spake after the same manner. And he answered him again after the former manner. So you know what? His brother's trying to shut him down. The brother's trying to shut down David. You need to be quiet right now, David. You don't have either the training, you don't have the authority. We know your pride, you're full of naughtiness. We need to shut you down. You know what David does? Oh, if you're not listening, let me talk to somebody else who's going to listen that God will work this out. Oh, you're not listening to me. Let me go talk to the next guy who's listening, who's going to hear it. You've got to find people who are believing like you're believing. People who are willing to take a step out of their own comfort zone and believe that God will work it out. Oh, you're going to keep me back from believing God's going to work this out? I can't deal with you right now. Let me find somebody who's going to encourage my spirit. Let me find somebody who's going to encourage my spirit because I'm not up to it right now with you. So he talks to somebody else. Let's keep going, sir. And when the words were heard which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul. You know what happens when you really feel that kind of confidence? Somebody who doesn't feel that confidence starts to say what you said. <laughs> and then they take that what confidence that you had and start spreading it to other people. Your confidence in the Lord will help somebody who doesn't feel confidence in the Lord. Like your desire is to get the confidence of the Lord in their mouth so that they start speaking it in rooms that you are not in yet. Like you're not even in the room and they're speaking your words of confidence out to other people. You haven't even got in the place yet. The scripture tells us that they take these words that David has said and say those same words to Saul who's in his tents somewhere. Can you imagine the words you can say? People are going to take, repeat it, and say, you know, uh, uh, Sister Tanya says that everything's going to be all right. And you can't unhear that now. It's going to be okay? Is it going to be okay? Now you're entertaining a possibility. <laughs> now you're, you're, uh, you're entertaining a new vision. 
They've started entertaining this and they've taken this to the king. Hallelujah. That's what hope does. Let's keep going. And when the words were heard which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul and he sent for him. As soon as Saul hears the words that David spoke to soldiers somewhere out in the field, they take his words to Saul and David says, go bring him right here. No one else is talking this confidently. He wanted somebody. Saul needed an answer. And somebody speaking this confident, even if it's a child. Remember, this David is a child right now. He's not an adult anything. <laughs> Let's keep going. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because uh, of him. You know what? <laughs> he is saying this to the king. He is saying this to the king who has an army. He's saying this to a king who has an army and has the best armor of anybody around. He has chariots, he has horses, he has all these things, and the person speaking encouragement is the person who's the shepherd. <laughs> the person who's lowly, the person who doesn't have anything, is the one speaking confidently. You don't have to wait for victory to speak confidently now. David is saying all this and hasn't even swung a fist yet. <laughs> he has a confidence in Christ, in God. Amen, let's keep reading. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. I need to encourage your heart, King. <laughs> I need to give you encouragement. You're wealthy, you have power, you have authority, but let me encourage you. <laughs> we often think just because we have a manager, a boss, a director, a, a CEO that they don't need encouragement from us. How can they? They have more money than us. They make 10 times what we do. But I'm here to tell you that the spirit of the Lord that's in you yes. is going to encourage their hearts. Yeah. <laughs> Let's keep going here. Thy servant will go and yeah. fight the Philistine. Ah. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he is a man of war from yeah. his youth. David is confident he's basically getting all the way everywhere, and he's saying, I can go fight this, this nine-foot guy. I can go fight him right now. Just let me go fight him. This is, wait a minute. This guy's been fighting for as long as you've been alive. How do you mean you're going to fight? You, don't even, you haven't even been alive as long as he's been fighting. How in the world are you going to fight this guy? <laughs> Where, what evidence can you possibly have to suggest that you can go fight this guy who's that big, who has frightened our entire army. Uh, he has a certain kind of confidence that we can only describe as faith in God. Let's keep going. And David, verse 34, said unto Saul, thy servant kept his father's What is David's evidence that he can go fight somebody? What does he talk about immediately when he says this? Sheep. Sheep, yes, sir. <laughs> what? Sheep? That's what you've got. To, that's, we've got a fighter of nine foot, and you're talking to me about sheep? How can that be the answer to our problem? And I'm here to tell you what. You've been through some things already in your life right now, and you're looking at the problems ahead of you and saying, how am I going to get through that? But the truth is, you've come through so much already. Like you've been through the fire already. You really look back at what you've been through and what you've made it through and how you've come this 
it has been by faith already. You're saying, man, it was just sheep last time. It doesn't matter what it was. Our God is greater than anything. Ah, I only had to deal with sheep last time. It was just one bear. Uh, but have a guess what? That one bear could still probably beat Goliath anyway. <laughs> Let's keep reading. And David said unto Saul, Yes. Thy servant kept his father's sheep. Okay, okay, David, you kept sheep, but what, and, what else? And there came a lion and a bear. Yes. And took a lamb out of the flock. He is using his testimony already about what the Lord has done through him. He's using the testimony he's got. And I'll tell you what, if you don't have a testimony for yourself, borrow one from somebody else. That's what we can do until we've got our own testimony. Borrow mine. I told you it was Christmas. That's my testimony. It was Christmas. And they said, have a guess what? By New Year's, we're not going to have anything to do. <laughs> but my God made a way for me. Sometimes you have to borrow a testimony from your past to help you with today. Borrow one. You don't want to have one you can think of? Borrow mine. He helped me. He will help you. Amen. Let's keep going. Verse 35. Yep. And I went after him. This is what David said. I saw a lion. And I want to be honest with you. If a lion takes one lamb, I want to say that's, if it was me, I'm going to be okay with that. Let's just count what we've got and take the rest home. But David, no. He says, you're not taking not one of my lambs. I'm a shepherd. These are my sheep. You're not taking one. <laughs> I love David's spirit here. Look at what happens. And I went after him and smoked him. And he hit the, the, he hit the lion of the bear. And delivered it out of his mouth. And I took the lamb out of the lion's mouth and the bear's mouth. And when he rose up against and him. And the lion and the bear decided to come back at me. I caught him by his beard. <laughs> caught the lion by his beard. And smoked him. And hit him again. And slew him. Yes, sir. That's his testimony. He says, if I can beat a lion and a bear with the power of the Lord, I think I fancy my chances against the problem that's in front of us right now. Take the confidence of what you've been through already. The problems that have, you've come through and the Lord has delivered you already. Take the confidence from that last victory that this one, he will do the same thing for you again. Let's keep going. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. I took them both out. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living. So my testimony from the lion and the bear, completely appropriate to this guy. In fact, I think actually the, the sense of it makes a lot of sense. Even a seven foot or nine foot, whatever it is, he's not stronger than a bear, and he's not stronger than a lion. So what happens next? David said, moreover, verse 37, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion yes. and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hands so, of the Philistines. So where is David's confidence? Not in himself. His confidence isn't that he has somehow some hidden weapon or some hidden tool or a trick or something. That's not what he's saying. He says the same God, he says, I needed deliverance when I was fighting the bear. I needed deliverance when I was fighting the lion. Moreover, I need deliverance if I'm going to fight Philistine. And when I fight the Goliath, the Lord that delivered me last time is going to deliver me this time. And I believe it. 
He is telling this to the king of Israel with confidence. Can you imagine if the president of the United States says to you, I don't know what we're going to do. And somebody comes out and says, well, I've got confidence because I was a shepherd. Wait, what? How is that going to help? But he has taken his confidence from the last thing he went through and is willing to fight again. This is what happens when you only put your trust in the Lord. Only put your trust in the Lord. David isn't even saying, I'm that skilled. He's saying, the Lord delivered me last time, he'll deliver me this time. That's his testimony. That is, this funny thing is, David's power is all the way down here, but his faith is all the way. Right? He's a shepherd all the way down here. He is the least qualified person all the way down here. Do you know where his confidence is? It's as if he's nine foot tall. It's as if he's Goliath. His confidence is like Goliath. Not, not even Goliath has confidence like David today. Right? That tells me something. David didn't have to become king to have confidence in God. And in fact, sometimes I would say that being king sometimes takes away your confidence because you stop believing on the Lord and start believing on your resources. And then when somebody has more than you, you lose your confidence. Gosh, you, you know, you've done this before. We all do this. We buy a car. It's new to me, right? It's new for me. And then somebody else buys a car that's two years younger than yours. And all of a sudden, all you see is the defects with your car. It happens all, to us all the time. It happens where we think about the resource instead of the source of all things. Amen? My confidence is going to be on nothing less than his blood and his righteousness. But that's the scripture. That's where David starts. I'm coming down. But there's one more scripture I want to show. Can we go to 1 Samuel? Sorry, no, 1 Chronicles 21. When David becomes king, this is what the difference is sometimes uh, when it comes to where our confidence is. We start with confidence in the Lord when we have nothing. Then when we get something, we start to stop thinking about confidence in the Lord and start thinking about confidence in the things he's given us. Like I've got, a I've got a job, I've got a house, I've got a car, so I should be okay. <laughs> Let's go to First Chronicle. The thing that upset the Lord with David's uh, kingship more than anything, when I thought about that in the week, I thought it was when he took Bathsheba, the, the wife of one of his soldiers. He kind of took his wife from him. That was a terrible moment, um, but that wasn't the worst moment. The worst moment for King David was in First Chronicles 21. Could you read the first verse there? And Satan yeah. stood up against Israel. So there's a spiritual war going on against Israel, and he somehow does this to David. And provoked David to number Israel. So David's worst sin is apparently taking a census to, to, to number the people of God. He, he literally counts them. That's his worst thing. And you say, well, that's not too bad. What's the problem with that? What's the problem with checking your resource? The, the problem is the underlying pride that is underneath this thing. He's starting to count his resources as if his resources are the thing that's going to save him. His attitude has changed from where he began 
in the story I just told you of him meeting Goliath, where everything is about God, and now everything is about him, and what he has, and what he can count. Keep reading, sir. Satan stood up against Israel, provoked David to number Israel. And David said to Joab and the rulers of the people, go number Israel from Beersheba, even unto Dan, and bring the number to me that I may know it. He says, go count my people. I want to know what I've got. I want to know how strong I am. I want to know how mighty I am. Maybe this is your job. Maybe this is your account. Maybe you have, you know, an investment account that is the thing that is confident for you. But you have to remember where the Lord has brought you from and remain confident in the Lord. Let's keep going, sir. And Joab answered, the Lord make his people a hundred times so many more as they, they be. But my Lord, the king, are they not all the Lord's servants? Yes. Why then does the Lord require this thing? So he's basically saying, hey, let's not do this because regardless of what you have, the Lord's going to give you what you need. Like, regardless of what you think the number is you think is you need to be strong and confident, the Lord's always going to give you what you need. So he's trying to push back on David and say, hey, don't count the people. Don't, don't count them. Let's keep going. Why will he be a cause of trespass to Israel? <laughs> Nevertheless, the kings were prevailed against Joab. Wherefore, Joab departed and went throughout all Israel and came to Jerusalem. And Joab gave keep going, some sir. of the number of the people unto David. Yep. And all they of Israel were a thousand thousand and a hundred thousand men that drew sword. And Judah was four hundred threescore and ten thousand men that drew sword. So it looks like he has 1.43 million men that are at his disposal to fight. And now David has this number. What is he doing with this number? He's feeling really good about the fact that the Philist if the Philistines come back next time, we're going to be ready for them next time. If they come back this time, we're going to be ready, right? His confidence now isn't where it should be. He has a lot, but his confidence is all wrong. And I'm here to tell you that sometimes that switch happens. Sometimes we're at the start of the journey where we believe that the Lord is going to do everything for us. The Lord gives us two things. And then now we've switched our thoughts. Now, what have I got? What can I do now? How strong am I? David's complete mindset has messed him up. He's gone from trusting moreover, just like the, the bear came and I'm going to be okay. The lion came, but I'm going to be okay. Now he's saying, well, what, what do I, I should count my, the people. How many swords do I actually have? How many men to fight do I actually have? Your trust and confidence has to stay in him, whether you have nothing or whether you have everything. Uh, let me keep going. But Levi and Benjamin counted he not among them. Joab was so scared of what David has done that he said, I'm not even going to count everybody. I can't do it. I cannot do it because I know what he's doing. He's trying to count the people and trying to get a number. And Joab said, I'm not counting everybody. I'm going to miss out a couple of tribes. So his numbers are wrong anyway. Right? So let's keep going. But Levi and Benjamin counted he not among them. For the king's word was abominable to Joab. And God was displeased with this. Uh, Therefore he smote Israel. Right. And David said unto God, I have sinned greatly because I have done this thing. But now I beseech thee, do away with the iniquity of thy servant. Uh, done very foolishly. Yeah, David realizes his problem. He realizes what he's done. 
counted the resources and hasn't counted on the source. He's counted the thing that he's trying to rely on and he's realized he's messed up. But the Lord said, I'm going to have to, we're going to have to punish this moment. Three options come out of it. He says either three years of famine. Those are the options. Three years of famine. He says, otherwise we can have three months where your enemies are against you. Or I'll send the hand of the Lord against you for three days. Three days, that's what he says. And you know what David says? He says, choose now and let's figure out what's going to happen. You know what David says? This is a difficult choice, but you know what? Put me in the hands of the Lord. If you're going to, don't make famine come. Don't make pestilence come. And don't let the enemies come. Because I don't know when that's going to end. But if I put myself in the hands of the Lord. There may be mercy in the hands of the Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. There's one more scripture I want to read here. Go to verse 13. Go down to verse 13 if you would. And David said unto Gad, I am in a great strait. Let me fall now into the hand of the Lord. It says, if you're going to give me the choice, let me fall into the hands of the Lord. For very great are his mercies. For great are his mercies. But not let me fall into the hand of man. Read that one more time again for me. And David said unto Gad, I am in a great strait. Let me fall now into the hand of the Lord. For great are his mercies but let me not fall into the hand of man. Don't let me fall into the hands of man. That's the thing I'm relying on here, is if I trust in him, even in his judgment against me, I'm gonna trust in him. I'm just gonna, tr I'm not gonna trust in the things that I've been given, they will run out. He says, I'm not gonna trust in the things that I got or losing them, I'm gonna trust in the name of the Lord. The scripture tells us that David goes on to repent. And he prays a prayer to the Lord. In fact, if you can just keep reading just for a moment till I find this. So the Lord set pestilence upon Israel, and there fell of Israel 70,000 men. So before this night is over, 70,000 men perished because of David's sin. Yes, keep going. And God sent an angel, verse 15, unto Israel to destroy it. And as he was destroying, the Lord beheld, and he repented of the evil. And said unto the angel that destroyed, it is enough. It is enough. Go down to verse 17. He stops the destruction even on the first day. And, verse 17. And David said unto God, is it not that I have commanded the people to be numbered? The problem was mine, Lord, don't punish them. Even I, it is, that have sinned and done evil indeed. But as for these sheep... What does what he go have, back to? What have they done? Listen to what David's mindset when he finally gets it right. What is the mindset he has now? When he finally gets it right, he's reset. He's seen what the destruction is, and he says, these sheep, the people have become, he's once again that young boy who's looking after sheep again. The attitude now is not that what I have, but what the Lord can do. No matter what you have, no matter how far you come, no matter what you've been given, no matter how small what you have is, you've got to put your trust in the Lord. Man, if you're trusting the things you have, there'll be somebody with more. There'll be somebody with taller than you. There'll be somebody stronger than you. There'll be somebody with a bigger house than you. There'll be somebody with a bigger car. It doesn't matter how you look at resources, but they will never beat you if you have the Lord on your side. David's default position becomes, and David said unto God, it is not I that commanded the people. I've got to thank you, sir. To be numbered, even I, it is that have sinned and done evil indeed. 
But as for these sheep, what have they done? Let thine hand, I pray thee, O Lord, O my God, be on me and my father's house, and not on thy people, that they should be plagued. The Lord, David's attitude has reset to the shepherd. That shepherd boy who looked after his sheep, who even wouldn't let one lamb go. Not one lamb go, even in the face of danger. And he said, Lord, don't let my people suffer. We need to have the mindset that the Lord is our deliverer. It doesn't matter how much I have or don't have, he will take care of me. May the Lord have a blessing to the reading of his word.